Support for this podcast comes from Synchrony Financial. Allow homeowners to pay at a rate that fits their budget with a merchant fee that fits yours. Visit www.toolbox.mysynchrony.com for more information. Welcome to The Successful Contractor, powered by Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys, share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. Hello there, SGI family and other contractor friends. I'm so thankful you're here. As a reminder, all episodes of The Successful Contractor Show are available on YouTube as well as your podcast player of choice. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind everyone that registration is open for your SGI Fall Expo. It will be in beautiful Temecula, California. That's Southern California wine country, October 6th through the 8th. And if you haven't heard, by registering and attending Expo, you could win SGI and Learning Alliance's big giveaway. It's the success on-site giveaway. Here's how it works. Every week you've been registered for Expo, your name will be entered into a drawing. For example, register five weeks early and you'll be entered five times. Uh, And to be entered, you must register by September 10th. Now the prize, one lucky winner will have the option of one of these three on-site options. A free Learning Alliance training on-site, a free SGI coach on-site analysis of your business, or a free Brandon Marshall motivational on-site. Here are the particulars. Uh, Again, only one lucky Expo winner will win one of these opportunities. You register by clicking on the registration banner on your SGI hub today. Uh, The earlier you register, the more chances you'll you'll have to win because you'll be entered more times. Already registered? Don't worry, we're automatically adding your name each week. Uh, And the winner will be announced from stage. So you must register and be in attendance. So register soon, add up your chances to win. We're looking forward to seeing you in Temecula. Today's show is a great conversation I had with SGI's own Miss Patty Myers. If you haven't had the pleasure of meeting Patty before, she's SGI's accounting coach and she is exceptional. I'm not sure if any one person's helped turn around more contracting businesses than Patty by her helping them learn and really understand their financials. For this particular show, Patty and I discuss an incredible topic, the most common mistakes in your P&L and how to fix it. Patty answers a host of questions. She's seen it all and looking at probably thousands of P&Ls over her years in the contracting business. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Patty Myers, accounting coach for SGI, as we discuss the most common mistakes in your P&L and how to fix it. I am sure you will take away a nugget or two. Patty, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, for those who haven't had the pleasure of, of meeting you and speaking with you, could you share with them your name and your role with uh, Success Group International? Yes, certainly, Bob. Thank you for having me, first of all. And my name is Patty Myers, and I am working for Success Group International, and I work within the operating department, serving our members directly, and I'm an accounting coach. So my background is accounting and finance, and that's what I do all day is I help members um, with their financials, understand their financials, read their financials, what to do with their financials. Very good. Very good. And we're going to talk some accounting today, but before we do so, I, I always love learning people's stories, sharing people's stories. I think so much can be learned from that, sometimes as much, if not more, than the actual uh, tidbits of, of contracting or accounting or whatever. But uh, let's see. Now, for you, you have, let's let's get into your background in contracting. You started as an uh, HVAC install tech, right, or a, a plumber apprentice? I forget. Yeah, exactly. I'm on the roof there, a swinging hammer. No, uh, I, I did not. So, so it's interesting. I have um, how I slid into the trades that we currently work in 
is uh, a course of, um, you know, maybe uh, a period of 10 years of just managing my career until finally the opportunity knocked on the door. Yeah. It was about 1991. That wasn't about, it was 1991. <laughs> the economy was all, was not that great at right. that time. The job that I had was um, an okay job. Mm-hmm. I was in the accounting field at that particular time. You have to understand that I was going to college. I was uh, not your traditional student. I um, I was an adult by the time I started college. Mm-hmm. I, of course, you know, not many people know this, but you know, um, I made a decision in my life that wasn't so good, and of course. There was a day when I would never talk about this, but it is my life story, right? Yeah. yeah. So I ended up um, dropping out of high school. And, mm-hmm. um, of course, always uh, disappointed in that. And for reasons that I'm not, I don't need to discuss, but always disappointed in that decision. And and um, so what I did when I was uh, mid-20s, maybe a little older than that. You know, I'm married and I have two children. Oh, should I, I need to do a call you out? Do, you can do whatever you want. That's right. They're going to watch they and make fun of you about this later. Yeah. There you go. They asked me to do that. No, I'm just kidding. They did not ask me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> had two kids married, had a full-time job and was just finding myself um, being a little bit bored with the uh, opportunity that I had. I mean, yeah. I was accounting arena, but I was doing such things as just some data entry, some accounts payable, things like that. And I really loved uh, accounting, even on that level. I absolutely loved it. So I knew that I would have to get a further education in order to grow that particular career. And I did. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and lots of great colleges to choose from. So I college and I went to night school and um took me six years you know I didn't do the four years but you know what can I say I was a person on top of going to college and I ended up getting my degree so that was exciting but still you know there were not you know I mean you know takes a little while still to grow your career and one particular time and this is back in 1991 Times were slow. The job I was in, um, it was manufacturing, and it uh, they laid us off one day oh, a week. Wow. Everybody got laid off one day. Well, you know, back then, every dollar mattered to me. Every dollar paid the bills, right? Sure. And so I was panicked a little bit, losing a whole day every week of pay. So I thought maybe I'd look out. I'd look for another job. And yeah. I did. And I saw this ad in the paper. It was the most bizarre advertisement. It <laughs> didn't make sense to me. Really didn't know what I was going to interview for. But really? Yes. Okay. okay. And I went on that interview. And that interview was with a company that is SGI today. Right. Okay. Right. So I interviewed with a woman. Her name was Deb. And she had me on the edge of my seat <laughs> wanting that job. Because yeah. she painted the excitement and the future. Now, 
sad thing was there was no accounting openings. Uh-huh. Um, I step in to an admin role, which sure. I was more than happy to do because mm-hmm. a new opportunity was going to come my way. Yeah. And so June 1st, 1991, I hopped on a plane, first day of work, hopped yeah. on a plane, flew to Las Vegas for an expo. You believe <laughs> So I was introduced to our trades. Now, back then, it was only HVAC. Right. I was introduced. That was my, my first introduction to our trades. Right. And what was so uh, fortunate for me is I actually worked within all the departments of SGI, from yeah. answering the phones, uh, literally, uh, to doing admin clerical work, to uh, going on profit days. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Like everyone has a little salesman in them. That's um, right. That's right. Not. And <laughs> now I'm not saying it was on a high level, but I experienced all the different areas of getting you no know, contractors, business in our trades again at that time, HVAC. Yeah. And so I um and then what happened eventually is the um director of finance was going to move on. Mm. And Saw that as my opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah. I interviewed. I had to interview for that position. And uh, my boss, even though I still was not finished with my education yet, I had not finished. I was still going to college. It was six long years. (laughs) So you're working, yeah. Yeah. And so I, um, he, I don't know, he had enough trust. He wanted to give me an opportunity. So I stepped into the area of accounting and finance. Um, working on the corporate side of, say, SGI. Yeah. And, but I got to know, uh, got to know our trades. I learned a lot. Met so many people. Right. And, and then in 2010, I still love accounting and finance. It's just in my blood. And <laughs> so I was, I had another opportunity to stay in this arena, which I love, but. I started working directly with the um, with the uh, business owner, with our members, directly with them versus doing the corporate side. So I did yeah. a corporate side. Then in 2010, jumped in working directly with all of our members. And yeah. been doing that ever since and loved it, uh, loved it back then and still love it. And I just truly enjoy. I truly yeah. enjoy helping our our um, members in this yeah. business. That's great. That's great. Yeah, you you know you know all the the big players in in our industry. That's for sure. You've seen a lot of faces and uh, a lot of companies grow and uh, do some incredible things. You probably should write a book, Patty. Once it's all said and done, of all the things you've experienced in this industry. So, oh uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, you've got a, a great uh, track record in our industry. People love Patty Myers. That's for sure. In the SGI world, I'll embarrass you for a minute. Everyone just, I've never heard a bad thing about you. Our clients just love you to death. And it's because you, you help them so much. And uh, we're, we're going to talk some accounting here in a minute because it's that it's a part of the business where we've got, you know, some members that are, are really sharp uh, operators. I had Tim Bolden on our show a few weeks ago. Um, that's an, it's dropping this, this upcoming Friday, but, um, you know, he, he knows his numbers. He's great at it. He loves that part. But there's a lot of other guys. And gals that this they're focused on sales and and obviously that's that's not enough 
So, um, you know, there's there's three core financial statements. There's your, your balance sheet, your P&L and cash flow statement. We don't have time to, to dig in at all of them. So we'll stick with, with P&Ls today. Um, before we, we, well, as we get into that a little bit, maybe discuss our, our financial model, our SGI financial model, and some of our, our pet percentages that we have for our trades in, in a broad sense, because uh, for those that are, are watching or listening that are non-members, it's kind of a benefit to being a part of our group is you get the, the little details like this. So we, we don't want to re- reveal that. But but again, maybe for a new SGI member who's just just went to EP and heard you say something you know about it, but there's so much going on in their head that, that maybe they need a refresher on, on what's available to them. Yeah, absolutely. So FDI. Um, we've been working with uh, our trades for many, many years, right? So we know our trades inside and out. And additionally, a handful of years ago, you'll remember, Bob, that we actually acquired some HVAC electrical plumbing co- company structure. So we were literally in the trenches with them. And you just, and, and of course, we talked to many, many business owners. And as you mentioned, you know, there's some very stellar. Uh, business owners out there because you know they're they're more mature in the business they've learned yeah. all the lessons they need to know and yeah. and so and we've learned from them as well yes so yes we do have a financial model what is our financial model bob it's a profit and loss statement okay we don't we don't we don't get creative with accounting accounting <laughs> is a okay you don't mess with it right. and so but we have a model and it's laid out of course, with income at the top, cost of goods sold expenses, and then operating expenses. But we have it built in a certain way so that one, it it has some uh, some um, um, what word am I? Uh, ease to reading. We try to keep. I'm very big into the KISS principle. Keep mm-hmm. it okay. We do yeah. not in our trades. This does not have to be difficult. We do not need to get in the weeds to the point we can't see. So. Model is designed to help us quickly read our financials at the end of each month because the goal is, of course, to receive your financials and that and your financial to tell you something, right? Right. right. What it's telling you or not, you right. want to read it quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that our, our, our model is very uniquely set up, but again, not creative by any means. Sure. And of course, you're right. The benchmark percentages, in my opinion, this is it. Okay. If you're going to do anything, you're going to focus on your percentages, percentages of expense to income. And because I've been doing this forever and a day, (laughs) I know, uh, at least I I feel like I'm going to do it forever and a day. Uh, Hopefully, I have some more days in me to continue to do it. (laughs) I, uh, but, but the percentage, you know, that's the only thing I look at when I, a member's financials, their yeah. profit statement. All I look at the percentages. I don't care if your gross revenue is two hundred thousand dollars a year right. or fifty million dollars a year. Those right. percentages apply no matter who you are. And yeah. so I work off of those percentages. And if if uh, and, and once the members are able to by making changes in their company get those their percentages to more mirror our percentages, it drives profit to the bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it always, um, I, I don't work in the, in the day-to-day like you guys in, in dealing with uh, new members and, and old members alike and, and getting the 
seeing the, the nitty gritty, but I, I do know enough and talk to enough people that, you know, we, we get big companies, really big companies that just don't have a grasp on it. So it's not, I say that to say, it's not, you know, if you're one of those people that, that are struggle that struggles with them, there's nothing embarrassing about it. It's, it's not an, you know, it's not necessarily something uh, that can just be learned um, by, I mean, you can learn it by figuring it out, but it, it's, it's complicated if you've not had any kind of a background or teaching or instruction. In. So that's why obviously we have Patty here to, to assist you to make it easy. Because I, I know lots of people have said, man, Patty just made it in a way that I get it now. And now I've got it. And, and that's why obviously you have a huge role uh, in our organization. Um, now I know a big part of when you look at, uh, you know, say a, a member's, you know, P&L for the first time and you're looking for, okay, try to make some clarity of it. What's going on is, is we're looking to see if they're departmentalized. So maybe ex- explain to people who uh, are, are not in the most uh, financially savvy just yet what departmentalization is and, and how, how uh, departmentalized we should get. Um, is it just per trade in your business? Is it, uh, or do we get as granular as, you know, service departments and, and maintenance and replacement, say, with HVAC? What do you, what do you typically recommend? Right. Thanks for bringing that up, Bob, because digitalization is huge in our business because what we recommend you do is you departmentalize your revenue streams. Right. So even if uh, you're just in HVAC or it doesn't matter what trade you are in, you are bringing in different types of revenue, such as uh, residential replacement, maybe residential service and repair, as you said, mm-hmm. maybe commercial, right? perhaps you're a new construction. Right. These revenue streams coming into your company and they're all a little different. So you're pricing different for these. And so, as I said, we're paying attention to the percentages of expense to income and mentalizing out your different revenue streams. I always say you get a little mini P&L down to the gross margin for every revenue stream you have because okay. Different. They may not be hugely different, uh, right. but a difference between them. And if you don't departmentalize, you could literally, and I see this all the time, be having a really difficult problem with one department, meaning right. you're losing money in that department. Right. And because it's not separated, it's all combined, you have no clue where you are losing the money. If you're driving a net profit to the bottom line, you're probably happy. But right. guess what if one of those departments is in the red, right? And really pulling all the resources that you're that you're from the other departments and just pulling the net profit from the other departments to to waste essentially. Sure. Sure. So departmentalizing is another thing that I like to hammer home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say it. I, I think I, you could definitely speak to this. I'd like you to speak to this. Is how many times have you worked with someone, maybe with a construction background, and maybe when the economy was really strong, and they go, you know, I'm five percent profitable. I know I could get better, but I, you know, but I, I love construction. I'm making twenty million dollars a year construction. I don't know. I'm making a little bit of money, I'm, I guess, in service. And you break it out, and they go, holy cow! I'm actually, you know, losing money. I'm making all my money in service. I mean, how often do you have those stories? That's interesting because I hear, so Sue, um, I will hear that all the time from yeah. members saying, oh, construction, I, I'm making good money on that. Are yeah. you? Really? Is <laughs> right. You know, I, I get a little fun. I have a little fun sure. with it. 
really, really, let's, let's, let's talk about that. And yeah. then breaking it out and kid you not. Now, maybe they're not losing in new construction, but they're certainly not making what they should be making. And they're putting all their, not all their resources, but many of their resources in it. Right. And 2% net profit. And then you go over to their residential side and you're making 15% net profit. Why not see what we can do to grow the residential and maybe reduce or eliminate the areas that you're pouring your heart and soul into and yeah. not net profit that you deserve? So it's fun. Uh, I, I enjoy turning that light bulb on. Sure. Them. And yeah. they, uh, you know, a lot of times it's the, ah, oh, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I can't believe I've been working right. 10 years and happy with right. two net profit. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Plus really yeah. Plus chasing receivables and dealing with general contractors that sometimes aren't the most pleasant to deal with. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's lots of the headaches that people don't don't think because they see the big the big numbers. And I get that. I certainly get that. It's human nature. Um, I do too. Okay. So you mentioned gross margin. We are, I think, ultimately SGI very much is we we just drive home the point in the importance of gross margin. So. Um, and I think you get that number right, a lot of other things go away, a lot of other problems go away. But often that is where the problems lie. So uh, when you look at people's uh, P&Ls and, and you're able to kind of dive into their businesses, what, what's the biggest issue with gross margin that, that people have? Is it just pricing? Is it, is it material waste or, or not getting the best pricing? Um, is it just labor's out of control because, you know, they're, they're doing time, you know, they're paying guys hourly and, and, and they're just, you know, eating up overtime. So what, what do you typically, what have you seen in, in your, your years in, in helping contractors? Yes. So you are right. We focus on the gross margin. And remember I told you we had a model and our SGI financial model keeps the cost of goods sold section to a minimal. In other words, we do not pack the cost of goods sold um, expenses with uh, 10, 15, 20 line items of expense. For the most part, we're talking maybe five, six line yeah. items of cost that are under cost of goods sold, ex- uh, under the cost of goods sold expenses. Mm-hmm. And I focus on two areas I, materials and equipment, right. and field labor. Yep. And if you use subcontractors, that's the same thing because that is where. We get out of control. And you are right. Talk about material. Well, first of all, it could very well be pricing, right? Uh, absolutely. Sure. Uh, sure. And that's a lot of times how myself and all of the other coaches identify if you are priced right or wrong. Now, there are other ways to identify that as well. But right. by looking at your cost of goods sold expenses, we can look at your material and your equipment costs. And remember, I'm measuring percentages. Right. I'm but the dollars are measuring percentages. And if the materials are and if the materials and the labor are high, higher our percentages, our benchmark percentages, almost every time your pricing is off. You need to increase. Interesting. Yeah. There's no you cannot lower the percentage of expense to income unless you raise your prices because it's yeah. what it is. Okay. Yeah. And so I um so now, if I just see one, let's just say labor is in line and materials are out of control. Well, mm-hmm. a couple different factors that could be the reason. I One would be, um, so I know people hate this word and I do too, um, but it's a, it's, it's a fact. 
this is mm. business, and so I'm going to say it, fraud. Mm. You can really detect if there's fraud going on in your company by paying attention to, to the material part of your cost of goods sold. Interesting, yeah. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case. No. As business owners, we are responsible for our company. We need to pay attention to that stuff. I'm sure. a big believer in people. So I think people, we, are, we are good people. But sometimes as good people, we make bad decisions. It just happens. Yeah. And so our job as an owner to pay attention to what's going on in our company. And mm -hmm. so sometimes there is that issue. Other times there's waste. You know how many roofers I talk to that say um, there's waste by not returning materials that need to be returned? Sure. And that eats in to your profits because it's raising your cost of goods sold expenses. Yeah. And so that's some of the issues that we have with the material. And then if you're talking labor, well, if you're on uh, if you're on time and material, again, it's all about you know, you can end up with some real issues, right? Yes. Uh, but with with labor, what I have found out is a lot of times um, the tech in the field is at not a lot of times, but at times they're taking a lot longer to do a job than right. they would be taking. And so if you are using any kind of flat rate um, pricing for your customer and you're anticipating a technician to uh, take two hours to a job to do that job and he takes four hours to do wow. that job. Well, now you have an issue because mm -hmm. you're too high for what you quoted that job to be. And sure. so maybe it's just a matter of more training for that technician. I yeah. don't have an answer sitting here. We need to diagnose why is this happening? And mm -hmm. then why is it happening in your company specifically? And then we fix it. Right, 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 right. Interesting. You know, um, you, you brought up the, the that's, you know, you, you can see embezzlement in that materials right there. And, and, and sadly, if you've doing, been doing this longer than I have, and I'm sure you've seen more cases than I have, but I feel like I've probably heard of 20 numbers over the years that have had, you know, money embezzled from somebody that they trusted to, to handle their their accounting. And they, they're, they, they're like, oh, I thought that was a great person, or I've known that person for 20 years, or it was a family member. Um, what are what are some things they can do to limit their liability, limit their, um, you know, to, to reduce the, the, the likelihood of them getting embezzled? Or what are some best practices they should have in place? Well, Bob, what I see happening so often, and it's an easy fix, and that that is the owner takes their eye off this ball. Things are running smoothly. Company is making a great profit and they pull from paying attention to the details of what's going on in their accounting department. They're reading financials, but they're not really analyzing their financials. They're not holding their staff, whether it be one person or multiple people, um, accountable. And what I mean by this is as an owner, you need to be asking the people who are who are touching your accounting, are in your bank accounts, or have access to your accounting software, you need to be asking questions to them. And you know what? I did corporate accounting for I don't know how many years, and I was never offended when my boss came to me and would ask uh, questions 
why is this? Why is that? Because I was responsible to know why is this and why is that? And Mm -hmm. by him asking questions, I could feed him the answers and he, he, he was comfortable. Also, I was held accountable. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the accountability piece, I always knew I needed to know what was going on in that company. And I always to, to effectively communicate and, um, you know, and my boss would be able to keep uh, an eye on everything by the questions he would ask. Also, he would ask for documents, right? Mm-hmm. He would see the uh, bank reconciliation in the accounting software versus the bank statement that you received. He was asking to see these different things. Yeah. So, you know, and that and that held me accountable. And yeah. it shared with me that he's paying attention, right? Right. right. Now, if you're large enough company, you need to do separation of duties. In the department, you do not want one person handling too many pieces of the accounting because that way there's control under one person. So you separate these duties Mm -hmm. and then keeps everybody doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's lower risk of fraud. There's Mm -hmm. because people are going to realize that hey, I don't have access to everything I need to create fraud. And again, I believe in people. Sure. I know that this kind of stuff happens. So separation yep. is huge. And the owner not taking his eyes off this wall. Yeah. Stay focused. Hold your accounting people accountable. And, you know, I've heard, I've had owners come to me and say, man, my bookkeeper, something's not right. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. Well, I'll ask for information and it takes weeks to get it or I never get it. Yeah. Or they talk so fast. I don't understand what they're saying. Right. I, these these are all things you need to pay attention to. Yeah. And, and you need to stop the presses and you, again, hold that person accountable. Mm-hmm. A family member. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know I'm putting you in the spot on this question, uh, and maybe maybe you can't think of any particular things. But are there any certain things you've seen of of uh, you know how uh, an accountant or a bookkeeper in a business is is taking advantage of a contractor? I mean, what are have you seen some typical cases? Things that I'm trying to look for ways to you know, hey, members or non-members listening to this, the, the, these are the things that happen, and because I'm sometimes amazed at, at what people can think of to do just to, you know, to, but they'll, they'll steal 20, 30, $40,000 in, 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 in a, a business owner won't even know it until, you know, that person's gone. I know. So it starts out small. First of all, everybody has theft usually starts out. And I use the example of you have a petty cash drawer, somebody $20 to put some gas in their car. And, and the intent is to pay it back. Right. Oh, the intent is to pay it back. They just don't have the money right then. But when they get paid, they're going to put the $20 back in. And guess what? Nobody noticed that the $20 was missing. For whatever reason, we don't pay it back. That yeah. start the escalation of then theft. Um, I had a couple of different stories, as you can imagine, of theft. A lot of it is, of course, built around cash when customers are paying cash how easy it is to delete the invoice in your accounting software and cash, um, right? Interesting, so yeah. It's getting more and more difficult to do because you have you have dispatching software now. Yeah. You're 
CRM. And so the techs in the field are logging that all in the CRM and then it syncs with your accounting software. So it's getting, you know, a little less and less and less payroll in payroll. Now a situation where the person doing payroll is friends with somebody in the field. Mm -hmm. So what? They, instead of working 40 hours every week, they're working 50 hours every uh-huh. week. Interesting. Yeah. So it's little things like this that that start really, really building, building up. But it's really based around the cash and, of course, the payroll example. Another example yeah. is buying material for yourself. I've had a situation more than once where yeah. the company is doing an addition to their house or an enhancement to their house. Guess who's paying for the material? (laughs) The company is. And so that's when you can read your P&L and you look at the percentages of what your material expense is to say, hmm, that's kind of high. Support for this podcast comes from Paul Sam. Paul Sam is the number one review generation platform built for home services. The majority of SGI members use PulseM for Google reviews, customer communication through text messaging, and much more. For more information, please visit PulseM.me. Welcome back to the show. I'm talking with Patty Myers, accounting coach for SGI, on the topic of the most common mistakes in your P&L and how to fix it. We're about to dig into the meat of our discussion. Patty will talk about how owner's compensation, advertising expenditures, vehicle expense, Handling bad debt and more impact your PL. So let's jump back into our conversation. But gross margin is the only thing you need to, to look at, right? In the PL, there's, <laughs> there's a whole lot more to that. Um, so let's talk about maybe some operating expenses and, and let's talk about compensation. So, um, you know, we have something, uh, we'll give a little uh, cookie away. Uh, we have a, a 30 slash 30, 33% rule. Could you kind of explain uh, to folks what that is? Exactly. So depending on if you're HVAC, plumbing, roofing, or electrical, your total gross wages should be no more than 30 or 33% of your total revenue, okay? That would be field, including commissions if you pay a salesperson, and people in the office. Mm-hmm. Includes you, the owner. Right. Okay. So that is, we call it our 30, 33% rule. And um, of course, pricing is what helps you keep within that, that particular rule. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we have our wages, our labor broken into cost of goods sold for field right. and commissions because cost of goods sold expenses are directly tied to the sale. Right. And the field is directly tied to the sale. Commission mm-hmm. directly tied to the sale. Everybody else, we consider operating expense, right? And so we uh, we separate it. Total is 30 or 33%, depending on what trade you are in. Mm-hmm. Very so good. 33% rule. Right. Very good. Um, oh, did over... I say that with gross wages only? It was gross wages, right? Yes. yes. Very good. Yeah. Um, own, owner's compensation is... is uh, is always a hot topic. I see it on on Facebook pages uh, that are, are non related to SGI. There's and the you know guys are always talking. Well, what do you pay yourself? You know, what is a reasonable salary for owners? I know this is going to go all over the board because of trades and 
and in sizes of business and stuff like that. But there, there is, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want, you know, there, there, there's a balance between how much do you draw out of the business at some point to pay yourself. So is there any rule of thumb you, you tell owners about how they should be paying themselves in terms of a salary uh, you know, every year? Good question. So as you know, we have this model. And if you are working in the company as an owner, and most of our owners are working in the company, hmm. our model considers you the general manager of the company. So hmm. what would you as an owner pay us a stranger to come in and general manage your company? Hmm. Depending on your geographical area, the size of your company, what would you pay? Right. And what you should be paying yourself. And you were basically the general manager of your company. So you're it's all across the board, depending on the size of your company, the geographical area that you are in. So sure. I'm not dollars, but you know, you know what you are willing to pay someone else to general manage your company. And really that's what you should be paying yourself because that's how our model is built. But you'll find the owners, you you may be saying, Well, I deserve two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, year, but I can only pay what would be reasonable to pay a stranger to general manage my company is only a hundred thousand. That's okay. You still pay yourself a hundred thousand because guess what, owners, the net profit profit is yours. Exactly. So you manage your salary, but the profit is yours, and the profit is yours is because you were the owner, you were the risk taker, and that's what you deserve. Absolutely, totally agree. All right. Very good. Um, one of those other operating expenses, it's always fun to talk about. And, and we got people that they spend nothing in this and we got people that spend way too much as advertising. Uh, so how, how detailed should uh, contractors be when structuring, um, you know, their advertising expenses in, in their P&L? How, how detailed should that be? Okay, so sir, so first of all, we are talking residential only, right? Because our model is built for residential. And in our marketing, our marketing spend is getting higher and higher and higher. We yeah. need to keep phones ringing, right? And we need to keep tapping, tapping the customers so that they always think of us when they need our service. And so in some cases, we are spending up to 10% of our total revenue mm -hmm. to keep bringing. No kidding. Yeah. And in, in a, the electrical field, it's even higher. Now, maybe you don't need to spend that much. So right. I always say advertising is a wild card. Because if your phones are ringing like crazy and your men are working um, as much as you need them to work. Yeah. And wanting to grow your company right now, don't keep spending money on advertising because mm. then they're going to ring and you're going to have to turn those customers away. Well, yeah. What a horrible thing to do to pay to have your phone ring only to say, we can't get to you weeks and the right. forget, yeah. I'll call someone else. That's right. So, so what you spend in advertising has to do with, um, you know, how you need the phones to ring. How many men do you have? How many calls do you run a day? Mm -hmm. Understand closing ratio and all those good things. Yes. And spend only what you need to spend. Now, I've seen people spend a lot more than the percentages I just communicated to you. But yeah. that most of the time, it's because they're trying to grow their company. They're trying to go into that next level. Maybe yeah. they're 
into another area, geographical area, another right. different zip codes. Right. And it's wise to spend advertising dollars above and beyond what our model percentages are if it if you are if it's a plan. Right. If you're spending all these dollars because you can't get the phone to ring, stop the process. We yeah. need to figure out what's going on here. There's yeah. a reason why you're spending all these dollars in advertising and yet still not getting the phones to ring. Right. Now when you are this is I this, there's something that I want to talk to you about. That's one part of sure. what I share with you. The next part is on your profit and loss statement, we break down our advertising. Mm-hmm. And so often when I see a new member's profit and loss statement, it's one line item of an expense called marketing or advertising, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And every expense that they have that they incur in any type of marketing that they do, they post it to that expense account. Makes sense, of course. But what we recommend is you break down on your PL the uh, marketing types. So you will have a line item for radio, a line item for, uh, uh, help me out, Bob, what are some of the marketing? Pay per click. There's pay per click. You know, Thank you. I'm drawing a blank here. There's TV. No, oh, that's all right. Even some direct yeah. mail. We got people that still do direct mail. And- yeah, we do. Radio. Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, the different types still- of advertising, yeah. advertising types. Because when you receive your PL at the end of the month, you not only want to know I spent $20,000 in advertising this month, but you really right. want to know where those dollars are going. Because right. now you can take those dollars, tie it back. Yeah. To- the calls that you are generating from those advertising types yes. then calculate the revenue you are generating from that and see if you are still advertising in the right way. Right, right. Because all of a sudden you can see, holy cow, I spent this much on, on that. And uh, and, yeah. if you're tra- and hopefully if you're tracking where those leads are coming from, you, you can quickly decide, well, boy, I didn't spend much in this, but look at the money we're making in that. Maybe I really need to bolster my, you know, my pay-per-click dollars, or maybe I need to put a little more on radio. Anyway, you're right. That, that it, it tells so much. and it, It's hard to spend that kind of money it takes to advertise these days and, and not know where you're getting your leads from. I know it's it's not an exact science, but there's certainly some things we can do to try and make it a little easier. Um, changing subjects a bit. Um, you know, Thankfully, lots of members are doing really well these days. Uh, we, we, we certainly work with lots of smaller contractors that uh, are based in their house uh, they boy, they want to buy or they want to lease a facility. What what do you tell people? When's a good time for them to finally go? All right, you can go ahead and, and buy that space, or you can lease that space. Is there are there certain rules of thumbs that that you tell uh, members when you're talking with them? So really, it's it's not so much you get to a certain dollar threshold. Mm-hmm. Really, when you outgrow your house, so <laughs> really, because. Yeah. You may have neighbors that are not crazy about three vans right. up every day. Sure. Um, you may not be crazy as an owner having people trump through your house, right? Yeah. And so, but you may be in a situation where maybe you're a little more rural and you have a building that, uh, say, a separate garage, a big right. area that you can continue to run yeah. your business out of. So I always tell people do not be in a hurry to get out of your house, okay? Yeah. Because it's just a cost to you. But uh, so stay in your house if you possibly can. 
Why spend the dollars unless you have to? Sure. But once you pay it personally and make the decision for whatever reason, again, too many vans coming in and out. Uh, you, you know, you need a place to start inventorying a little inventory. We don't, we don't, we don't like you to inventory a lot of inventory. But right. <laughs> excuse me. But that first of all, you have to analyze that. Okay, when is it time for me to move out of my house based on the things that I just shared with you? Mm. So you are right. You do have to be driving a certain amount of revenue because if and. I can't, there's really not a certain amount of revenue to drive. It's a matter of driving or or, um, moving your company to be profitable. You have to be profitable. Once you start building profit, you're seeing yourself at five (coughs) and 10% or even more profit, uh, you know, then at that particular time, you know, you can start taking some of that profit and and investing in moving off site to because right. uh, it is easier to manage your company off site. Typically, sure. we have a different type of facility that's more accommodating for our trades and the coming and going of trucks and some inventory, sure. multiple people working for us. Sure. But there, I'm sure, well, I know there are, there are cases where people go, all right, well, I'm, I'm profitable and profitable for a couple of years. Revenue is really moving up. I'm going to buy a 10,000 square foot facility and uh, it's all going to work out and I'm going to completely uh, redesign it and re, you know, and they're going to. So anyway, are there any, how do you tell some people, okay, that's just a little bit too much. Are there some, again, rules of thumb. I like to always say that in terms of like a percentage of revenue, you know, um, someone should be paying towards uh, um, towards a mortgage that they shouldn't spend more than a certain percentage or, or how do you kind of coach people through that to go, maybe you don't need to go that crazy. Let's start with a smaller building and move up. You know. Well, first of all, I always say you do not need the Taj Mahal. Okay. <laughs> Our trades are simple. We do not need to be uh, in this grandiose place, whether you are renting or you are building. So, yeah. Renting is a little different from building, right? Building, nothing wrong with building uh, because it's it's an asset. You own it. But typically, uh, there are times that we go to build and we're building too much, too much. And once you build it, right, it's your baby. And I know sometimes we have an intent to grow into it, but we still have to watch the dollars, okay? So if you are renting, we recommend, and Again, this depends on your geographical area, sure. but I am seeing rent being right around 1.5% all yeah. the way to say 2.5% of your okay. total revenue. Yeah. Um, it really depends on your geographical area. Right. And if you are in a place that's maybe a little bit bigger than what you need because you intend on growing into it. Sure. Owning is a wild card. You know, a lot of times what I see is there's the intent to build and then I'm going to lease part of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they're into renting. That's a whole other business. Yeah. It's a whole other business. And sometimes you get good renters and sometimes you don't. Now you're financially dealing with that. Sure. Nothing wrong with it, but you just have to be prepared uh, for that being a whole nother business that you're taking on building and planning on renting part. But sure. that's that idea always, because if you plan on growing your company, you rent it for the time being, 
five mm-hmm. years from now, then you can occupy the entire building and you have an asset there, right? True. Very true. I just, you know, I wanted people here. Oh, if they're like, well, I'm spending 10% of my revenue on my big fancy building, that might not be the best allocation of, of funds. And maybe we should try and, and do something else. So yes. um, excellent. All right. Thank you, Patty. Uh, let's talk a, a little fleet. That's certainly a huge expense that people see as an operating expense. Maybe how do, how do people, how should people be managing uh, their trucks and, and, and on their financials in terms of depreciation and um, and also, do you have any opinion on, it's a hot topic, I see it all the time, buying versus leasing. So there's two tough questions for you. Yeah. Okay. We'll start with buying versus leasing because I, I chuckle sometimes. I'm at EP, Executive Perspective, and mostly I'm talking to a lot of new members, but there's a lot of existing members in there as sure. well. And we get on the topic of lease, you know, uh, versus own. And the room is split. Oh, See, sure. <laughs> right There's yeah. no right or wrong. We have these opinions on this and nobody's right or wrong. Now, um, this is one thing I say. Okay. Um, if you're going to buy, my question would be, um, do your men take care of their automobiles? Okay. Are you about how they're taken care of? If you're not on how they take they're taken care of and they're going to fall apart in a short period of time anyway because you're not keeping your eye on that ball then yep. maybe you want to lease right yep. interest is so low come on yeah that's Buying true is the right right way to go but then i have people who will argue leasing is so much better you know you lease you keep it for five years you let it go no hassle so again there is no right or wrong it's People are split on this and they just have that feeling of what they think is the best. And, you know, so it is. It's what is in your best interest. It's what you think is best for your company. I wish yeah. I could do a little bit more on lease versus um, buy, but um, it's it's just there's no right or wrong. There's not yeah. one that's better than the other. It's sure. really how you feel about it. Right. Right. The yep. other question was, oh, depreciation. depreciation. Oh, yeah. So if we lease our automobiles, right, um, unless it's a capital lease, and we're not going to get into the different types of leases. No, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, typically. So say you're leasing and every month you pay a, a, a make a payment to the leasing company and you just so, put that on your P&L, $500 as an expense. Well, if you own your vehicles, that's not how you manage your vehicles. You manage getting the expense of the vehicle on your profit and loss via what you just spoke about, depreciation, right? And so what I see far too often, this is what every business owner needs to change, is they certainly put depreciation on their P&L, but they wait until the end of the year. They wait until their tax accountant tells them your depreciation for 2021 was $15,000. Mm-hmm. What they do is they post $15,000 of depreciation expense on their PL in December. In December, yeah. In December. So that means January, February, Mar- all the way through November, there's zero depreciation on their profit mm-hmm. statement. Yeah. Which means every one of those months, they are looking more profitable than they right. really are. Because yeah. they're using these trucks, right? In their business. Oh, sure. 
yet they have no chalk expense on their P&L. And yep. so you never want to fool yourself thinking you are more profitable than you really are. Depreciation should be posted on a monthly basis. Very good. How, what is the typical lifespan you see? You tell people they they should they should figure on a truck. Is it five years or, or longer? Five years. Yep. Five years. Take your twenty thousand dollar truck that you just bought. I'm making up a dollar. Divide yeah. by sixty. There's you know sixty months and five years, and yeah. recognize one sixtieth of that of that twenty thousand dollars on your P and L each and every month. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, you know, I certainly you're working with lots of, of newer members that that are not always in the best financial shape. So they've got some bad debt. Um, how do we how do we manage bad debt on our P&Ls? Yeah, bad debt. Four letter word, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, OK, um, bad debt exists. OK, play as you more mature in managing your business that decreases. But you know what? Chances are, no matter how good you are at managing this, you're going to have a little debt. And so, and, and that's built into your budget, right? Because it's going to exist. However, um, what I see happening is there are customers that owe you. And instead of writing it off, and we'll talk about what that means, you leave it sit in accounts receivable because accounts receivable is on your balance sheet and it's what customers owe you, right? And so lots of times I will have you send over your balance sheet to me and I'll be looking at it because you know how much I love the balance sheet. That's right. And I'll say, oh, your account's receivable. Wow, it's here. What, what do we got going on there? Yeah. Why are you be an accounts receivable aging is what I will ask. Yeah. So accounts receivable aging is just a listing of everybody that owes you as of that date. And then it tells you if they owe you within 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And I'll say to the business owner, wow, you have quite a few dollars that is 60 days and older or 90 days and older. So do you do you really think you're going to collect this? What are the chances? Well, yeah. you're probably not going to collect it, but, you know, we uh, we hope to someday. Right. Well, no, we hope to. Mm-hmm. But we have to be honest with what is really going on. Mm-hmm. So when. We have bad debt on our balance sheet. It's important at a certain point of time, pick your date, maybe after 90 days. When it comes to residential, if it's 90 days or older, you can almost kiss it goodbye. Okay. So be honest with yourself, write it off because when you write it off, it uh, it leaves accounts receivable. Customer no longer owes you. Well, they owe you, but on the book, it shows that they don't. Don't owe you any longer, and it goes on to the PL as a as an expense, right? right? The reason you want to do this is once again, if you have a bunch of debt that is not on your PL each and every month, you think you are more profitable than you really are. Right, right. So that's why it's so important to write bad debt off. And I always say to my owners, I want that to ruffle your feathers. <laughs> every time you look at your PL and you see that. Yeah. that line i want you to get irritated and the yeah. reason we want that is that irritation will help them to say what am i going to do to stop this right right very good very and by good the way, Bob, you yes. never stop trying to collect it just right. because you wrote it off on your book okay. yeah mean you can't still uh go after it right no that's good that's a good that's a good point yeah you don't want to just let it walk away if you can try and get it 
Um, excellent. Well, we've, we've covered a bunch here. Uh, Patty, just kind of in summary, is there anything, you know, you just general advice you'd have for, for members and how to handle their P&Ls or really, you know, so much of them rely on, on bookkeepers and, and other accountants and, and just yeah. go, oh, that's taken care of. That's taken care of. So maybe what, what final, you know, words of wisdom might you impart to those people about being more active stewards of their financials? So this is a biggie and I see this all the time. They have a bookkeeper, good person, absolutely yes. good person. However, they're more of a data entry clerk. Right. They don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, behind that computer. They don't know what's going on because guess what? They don't know what they don't know. And I think you said it earlier, the arena, the area of accounting, it's not real easy to initially, it's an accounting equation, yeah. right? Assets yep. equals liabilities plus owner's equity. What does that mean? Well, I, I sat in four years of college to figure out what that meant. Right, right. Well, didn't take me four no. years. <laughs> but, but the point is, is that yeah. it's truly no, an education. Yeah. And so I always tell owners, be careful who's doing your books because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they don't know. And they can mess it up so quickly and they don't know it. And guess right. what? The owners don't know it because the owners don't know what they don't know yet. Right. Love getting my hands on owners and right. be really teach them on a very basic level, not to be insulting, but a basic level of the things they must understand about their balance sheet because their balance sheet ties to their P&L. Right. And they understand these few things. They say, oh, my gosh, nobody explained it to me like that. Right, right. It all yeah. comes on. And yeah. you don't have to be a degreed accountant to know this stuff and to be able to look at your P&L and balance sheet and understand what's going on. You may not know it all. Right. Enough that you'll say, I need to stop the presses. Something's not right here. Right. The right person. Make sure you are reviewing your financials timely every mm -hmm. month. Those are the two things I would recommend to you. And and also place a call of, to Patty Myers every once in a while. It's nice to have an outside. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's nice to have an outside resource, right? I mean, like you 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 talked, to, you've shared a lot of insight and and things that you see that other people. Because you got a hundred other, uh, you know, balls you're juggling as a business owner. It, sometimes it's it's easy to miss a little detail that turns into, you know, a big issue. So, um, but yes. Yeah, so anyway, well, thank you, Patty, so very much for all your time today. This was a lot of fun. I always love talking to you. So, uh, really appreciate your insight and uh, look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you for your time, Bob. You have a great uh, day. You too. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. That's Patty Myers, accounting coach for SGI, on the topic of the most common mistakes in your PL and how to fix it. Thanks for joining us. If you feel like you have a great story we're sharing that would also help other contractors, email me at bhouchin at yoursgi.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, if you're on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe. If you're on your favorite podcast player, leave us a five star review. And please join us for future episodes. It's my promise to you that we will continue to interview successful contractors and other influential individuals in residential contracting. This is The Successful Contractor, powered by Success Group International. The Successful Contractor podcast is part of the Success Group International family. SGI is the largest member-owned best practices organization for independent residential services contractors. SGI provides its members a competitive edge through proven proprietary management tools and expertise, marketing programs, 
training, and group buying power, along with a highly active and eager to help membership. For more information about Success Group International, visit www.yoursgi.com.